Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Over these past weeks, you have seen how God's house was built. But I think we need to go back to the first step in any building process, and that is the blueprint. And I feel like God wants to do some amazing things with this church that only he can do. And this church has God's favor and his anointing. And I believe that if we build his church according to his word, there is nothing that can stop us. Amen. And this morning I want to speak to you for a little while on a sermon that I have entitled, Back to the Blueprint. Back to the Blueprint. I'm sure most of you know where I will be pulling my opening text from, and that's from where the church began, and that's the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, you have heard of me. And verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Amen, amen. And if you, you guys can put your Bibles done and down and I'm going to pray in Jesus, I pray. Lord God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have given to us so freely, Lord God. Thank you for your anointing and for speaking to this church, God. I pray that you show us in your word today, Lord God, the way to Pentecost and how to build your church. Lord God, I pray that you would take away any fear, Lord God, any, 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 anything, any hindrance, Lord God. I pray that you would give us faith. I pray that you give us a boldness, that we would not be ashamed of your word. Give us strength in these last days as you prepare your church, Lord God, and you pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was not an unexpected event. It was planned by Jesus. And it was taught by the apostles to be the normal and the universal experience for every believer. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was planned by Jesus. It was prophesied by the prophets. And it was preached by the apostles. And they did not preach it as a one-time event. They preached it as the standard universal experience for all Christians. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. And today is Pentecost Sunday, as you've heard, and it's kind of like the church's birthday, if you will. It is the day that we celebrate the birth of God's church. In Matthew 16, verses 18, I'm going to be really heavy in the scripture, just a heads up, but you don't have to turn to everyone. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. In other words, in the gospels, the church was not yet built. The church was going to be built. And he told Peter, upon this rock, I am going to build my church. It was on the day of Pentecost that the promise that he made to Peter of building a spiritual church finally came to pass. And today marks the day when the church was built. 
Pentecost Sunday does not represent the birth of a denomination. Pentecost was the birth of God's church. Not the United Pentecostal Church, not the Assembly of God Church, not the Baptist Church. It was the birth of the true church of the living God across every denomination. But those that share the Pentecostal experience can claim to be a part of that church. And I want you to know this, this morning you are in a Pentecostal church and we share the Pentecostal experience. Hallelujah. In, in, in America, Pentecost began with a meeting in April 9th of 1906 at the Azusa Street Revival. It was a historic Pentecostal revival meeting that took place in Los Angeles, California and is the origin of the Pentecostal movement. And before the time, Pentecost was not an experience. It was something that people just studied. But at the end of the 19th century, after the Civil War, there was a, a desperate need for people to connect with God and people in the holiness movement and in the, in the Methodist movement began to have a prayer meeting and they began to seek more of God. They began to believe there has to be more than just believing and having faith. There has to be some kind of experience to their faith. And as they read their Bibles, they began to realize that the people in the book of Acts didn't just believe a God that they never met, but they experienced the power of God in a supernatural way. And so they started to ask themselves, well, if it was available for them, and God says in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, that he is no respecter of persons, then why would this experience not be available for us today? If they were able to feel the glory of God and it caused them to speak in another, in another language, why wouldn't that same experience be available to us today? And so many people in the 19th century began to seek God and to seek this experience. And there was a small Bible college in Topeka, Kansas. And, uh, and, and a group of students and their professors, Charles Parham, you may have heard of him. They were desperate for an encounter with God. You see, they had religion. They had faith. And they studied the scriptures. But they were missing the experience. And they became so hungry for a touch of God that they began to fast and they began to pray. And they prayed for, for each other and laid hands on each other and prayed that they would be able to have this same experience that Peter and James and John and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, that all received on the day of Pentecost. And then one of the students named Agnes asked Parham, to lay his hands on her and pray that she would be filled with the Holy Ghost, just like they did in Acts 19, where Paul lays his hands on them and prayed that they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Charles Parham was like, I don't even have the Holy Ghost. Who am I to pray for you? And she said, well, at least give it a try anyways. She had faith. She had hunger. And so he laid his hands on her and began to pray. And she began to speak in tongues. And they say it sounded like Chinese. And from there, Pentecost became a persecuted experience. There are still many churches today that persecute the thought and the teachings of this experience. And there are many who believe tongues is demonic and say that it is a negative influence on the church. And my question is how in the world is something that is commanded by God, prophesied by the prophets, and preached by the apostles be a negative experience for the church? Yeah. 
It is the inheritance of the church. And in fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. It is what God desires for us to have. And after the resurrection, Jesus spoke these words that I read to you in Acts 1, 4 through 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them to, that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But what did he say? But wait. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Don't preach anything. Don't try anything. The one thing that you need to do right now is wait until you receive the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard of. This was not something new. This was not something that they never heard of before. Jesus was saying, I have been talking about this the whole time throughout my ministry. Jesus was saying, I have been talking about this all of my ministry. And, and don't you remember when I, when I met with Nicodemus and I told him that he needed to be born of the water? and of the spirit don't you remember when i was talking to the woman of samaria at the well and i told her that she needed a river of living water on the inside that she would that would spring up into everlasting life jesus was saying i have been talking about this don't you remember when i said that another comforter would come jesus said i have been talking about this and he said go and wait for the promise of the father Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water. But let's not stop there. It continues. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus encouraged. He planned and he pushed them into having a Pentecostal experience. And now I know a lot of churches do not teach that. And most Christian churches place an emphasis on the cross. And I am not saying that is a bad thing. In fact, that's a very good thing. It was prophesied about it, and it was the greatest display of love ever known to mankind. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. It was, per it was what was purchased our salvation. So I'm not discrediting that in any way. But Jesus' teachings to his disciples were to, were to look beyond the old rugged cross. They were to look beyond the empty tomb. They were to look for a moment that what he did on the cross could become a reality in their life. That the power that brought him out of the tomb would someday come and be in the human body. Jesus taught them that there is more to it than him just dying on a cross, but that he wanted to give us that same power that raised him from the dead. You see, these great events are incomplete if they would have stopped there and, and, and you would not have had the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost because everything that Jesus did, he did for a purpose. Everything that the cross stood for, everything that the cross did was to pave a way and to build a bridge to Pentecost. Now this is, is really important. I need you to get this because there are too many churches that are preaching only a half gospel. They are preaching that the cross is all that you need and, and, and all you have to do is believe. And I want to tell you this morning that is not biblical. That is not biblical. Jesus died and he suffered on that cross so that, 
so that you could go to Pentecost and have Jesus living on the inside of you. We love the cross and we should love the cross because it was there that the price was paid. But the price for what? The price that cleans our spirit so that we can be filled with God's spirit. Amen, amen. And so I have this cup with me today. And it's filthy. It's dirty. It's a glass cup. It's disgusting. It's full of muck and dirt. And now pretend with me for a moment at this uh, cheap $2 bottle of water that I got. is worth $100,000. It's a $100,000 bottle of water. Now you wouldn't put this sacred water into a dirty cup, would you? And if you're going to put this water into the, this cup, what are you going to do first? Wash the cup? Yeah. You're going to wash the cup. You're the cup. And Jesus has the water. It's his spirit. And in the garden, we got disconnected from his life. And Jesus came to give us a direct connection to him. But you see, he cannot pour the water into a dirty cup because it, is, it will get contaminated. And you cannot clean the cup with just water. You're going to need soap and water. And there is only one detergent that can get the muck and the dirt off of your life. There is only one detergent that can clean the sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is his blood that when applied to our life can cut through the years of regret and shame and guilt and all kinds of fornication and pride. It is in the blood that Jesus of, of Jesus that we will take those sins away. But the blood is never separate from the water. You can put the soap on the dishes, but until you put the, the dishes in the water, the soap is not activated. You can put the blood on your life, but until you get in the water, the blood is not activated. Amen. You see, it's in baptism that our cup gets clean. But do you think that he just wanted to clean our cups for them to just sit there and look pretty? That looks pretty, right? Nice, fresh, clean cup. Do you think that God cleans cups so that he can just store them in a cabinet? No. He cleans your cup because he wants to fill you up. You see, most churches only preach a clean cup. They preach the cross. They preach the blood. But they don't preach about going to a place called Pentecost where your cup gets filled back up. God doesn't want us living an empty but clean life. But Jesus talked about this in the Bible. He said in Matthew 12 verses 43 through 45, Now when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, it roams through waterless, dry and arid places in search of rest, but it does not find it. It does not find it. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they, can, they go in and make their home in that cup. You see, you cannot clean up a spirit and leave it empty. You have to clean it up and then fill it up. And that's why Jesus said, don't do anything until you go to Pentecost. I just gave you the soap. I just shed my blood. I just showed you my power. And now wait until you are filled with my spirit. 
Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. You see, these are great events. These are great events, but they are incomplete without Pentecost. And that is why you should never let someone teach you the Gospels without teaching you the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the only place that you are going to see people filled with the Holy Ghost. It is the only place in the Bible where you are going to see preachers preaching to lost people, telling them how to be saved. Nobody in Romans gets saved. Nobody in Ephesians gets saved. Nobody in Philippians gets saved. Why? Because those are letters written to people who are already saved. So if you want to find out how the lost are saved in the Bible, then all you need to do is go back to the blueprint and read the book of Acts. There you will find the Gospels being applied to sinners' lives through the plan of salvation. And it was there where God's Spirit began to build the church. Amen. Amen. Calvary speaks of something done for us. Pentecost speaks of something done in us. Calvary speaks of the blood that washes away sin. But Pentecost speaks of the fire and that consumes the sin. Calvary is where the old life ends, but Pentecost is where the new life begins. Amen. You need to understand that these two are inseparable. You cannot have Pentecost without Calvary. And you should not have Calvary without Pentecost. Luke 24, verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But stay you in the, in the city of Jerusalem until you are filled with the power from on high. The cross is a place of judgment and death. It is the place where the blood of God paid the price for our sins, but it is not where we stop. We, like the apostles, must go on to Pentecost. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost was prophesied throughout the Bible as part of the salvation process. This was not just a New Testament thing. The prophets had said this was going to happen. Joel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and John the Baptist and Jesus even put all emphasis on the supernatural moving of God's spirit. Ezekiel 36 verse 26 says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a what? A new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put, I will put my uppercase spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my ordinances and do them. Joel 2.28 And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon thy servants and upon thy handmaids in those days I will pour out my spirit. Matthew 3.11 John the Baptist was preaching and he said I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. 
prophet after prophet after prophet of the Old Testament. They didn't preach about praying the sinner's prayer. They didn't prophesy that you are going to come to an altar and repeat a simple prayer of some preacher. They said there is going to come a day when the supernatural that you have seen on the tabernacle, there is going to come a day when the Spirit is going to live on the inside of you and it's going to change you and it's going to make you a new creature. Amen. Jesus talked about the Holy Ghost baptism so many times throughout the Gospels. John 7, 37 through 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, if anyone is thirsty, if you are not satisfied and you want more of Jesus, he says, let him come unto me. Let him come to the well of living water and drink. Verse 38. He that believeth on me, As the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You will literally become a life spring. Life spring is not the name of the church. It's who you are. We are the church and we are called to be a life spring. Verse 39, "But but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So notice how the Holy Spirit was not even yet available in the Gospels. So don't let someone try and and take you to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and tell you how to be saved. Because the Spirit was not available in the Gospels. The Word even says so. The blood had not been shed. The price had not been paid. New Testament salvation starts in the book of Acts, not in the Gospels. It was paid for in the Gospels, and it was received in the book of Acts. Amen. Jesus stood and said, if anyone thirsts, he told Nicodemus, you need to be born of the Spirit. He told the woman at the well that you need the well of living water living inside. Her life was a mess. She had five husbands. She was living with a man who wasn't her husband at the time. But realize this, Jesus had the same solution for the woman with five husbands and for the man at the temple, this religious, clean, and godly man. You see, it doesn't matter if you are a prostitute or a preacher. You need the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter if you are the woman from Samaria with five husbands or you're the preacher from the temple. You have to go back to the blueprint. You have to go back to Pentecost. Amen. Notice Jesus said, you need to be born of the Spirit. But the Bible says the Spirit wasn't available. So you know what he was actually telling Nicodemus? He was telling him, you have to wait for Pentecost until the Spirit is available. And that is why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And that is, and that is what happened after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Acts 2, verses 1 through 8. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled. Everyone was filled. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, which is the evidence of the Holy Ghost as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there dwelling at Jerusalem Jews and devout men out of every nation 
under heaven. It was what we would consider today as a friend Sunday. There were visitors everywhere. And now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. They were amazed because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, not, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own language wherein we were born? Verse 13, others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. You see, don't be surprised if someone is mocking your Holy Ghost and think you are crazy for speaking in other tongues. It happened right there in the book of Acts. And if it happened at the birth of the church, it's going to happen throughout the church. There will always be two kinds of people when they see someone with the Holy Ghost. They will either mock it or there will be those that are curious about it. That will always be the case. Verse 14, but Peter standing up with the eleven, he stood up after he heard them talking about them being drunk. And he lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose. Notice that he never said they are not drunk. He said they're not drunk like you think they are. They're drunk. They're drunk on a new wine. And they're under the influence. They're under God's influence seeing it is but only nine in the morning. Verse 15, but this, what is this? Think about what's going on. They're talking in tongues. They're looking crazy. They're sounding drunk. And Peter stands up and says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Peter was saying that this tongue-talking experience was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets when God's spirit would be able to live within the hearts of men. And as a result, Peter's explanation in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Verse 38, then Peter said unto them, he was giving them the template right here, the blueprint. All you need to do is repent, turn from your sin. You see, we are in a world that doesn't preach repentance anymore. You can go to a lot of churches and you won't hear them say the word repent. You will hear them say, believe in Jesus and accept him into your heart. But let me tell you, there is power in repentance. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that angels rejoice when someone believes. But it does say the angels rejoice when one person repents. And so Peter said, repent and be baptized. Not some of you, but every one of you. How? In the name of Jesus Christ. What for? For the remission or the removal or forgiveness of sins. That is... Peter was saying, that is how your cup is cleaned. Peter, he, was, he said, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So after your cup is clean, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And verse 39, for the promise. What promise? The promise of the Spirit. The promise of Pentecost. The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as, our, the, as the Lord our God shall call.
Amen. I have always thought that if we as the church could just get to this place where we were seeing miracles of, of God on a, on, a, on a continual basis, week after week, where we would, where we would see blinded eyes and open and deaf ears healed, that can, when cancer is healed, that if we get to the place where miracles, signs, and wonders are evident in our church and it begins to be trending all over Facebook and Twitter and whatever else you guys use, and, and the news and the media, and they're all talking about it. We would not even be able to contain all the people that would want to come to our churches. And we know that miracles, signs, and wonders would be a huge drawing to church. But if you haven't noticed, miracles seem to only draw people temporarily. They do not become these amazing disciples just because of a miracle in their life. You see, they praise God for a little while, but they end up backsliding. Our churches have seen deaf ears open and blind eyes healed. We have seen people with deadly diseases like cancer and heart problems all healed in the name of Jesus. We have seen miracle after miracle happen. And has anyone here experienced a miracle? Has anyone been healed from a disease or a sickness? Amen. And you would think that the people who are healed in their bodies or their mind would definitely be back next Sunday, right? In fact, you would think that they would be the most excited and the most on-fire person in the whole church. But in reality, they don't even come to the next service. We have seen it even at LifeSpring where some get a mighty touch from God and were obviously blessed by the service and you'll never see them again. You see, we must understand that the Bible teaches us that Jesus healed everybody. Every single person that needed a touch from God and needed a miracle got their miracle. Thousands of people were healed in their bodies, but only three or four were at the foot of the cross. We talk about blind Bartimaeus who was healed. He was not there. We preach about the woman with the issue of blood. She was not there. The 120 that were in the upper room who had experienced Pentecost for the first time were not there. This is the same Jesus who preached to thousands and thousands of people and healed everybody. He fed thousands, and yet when it came to the church, only a few of them showed up. You see, the, the, the dirty little secret that Satan doesn't want us to know about is that miracles do not make disciples. Miracles do not make disciples. And in fact, miracles do not even bring people back to church. You see, Jesus showed us in his word what brings people back. John verses 6, 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Jesus is correcting them. You see, they would have followed Jesus all over the country for some free bread. But something else was really going on. And Jesus stands up and tells them that it has nothing to do with the miracles. It has nothing to do with the loaves. And that I have given it to you. It, 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 what, what you are following is because you were filled. You see, there is something greater than being healed. Amen? There is something greater than being healed, and that is being filled. 
And when you are filled with, and you, you will go across the country to get more of that stuff that you had in the first place. When you are filled, you, you will go to the cross to see and find out where Jesus is because you want to get filled again. You see, I'm not satisfied after getting the Holy Ghost one time. I'm not satisfied with just one touch from God. My soul thirsts for more, and I want more. I want more of you, Jesus. I want to be filled again, and I want to be overflowing with his spirit. Amen. The church needs to go back to the blueprint. We put so much emphasis and pressure on the visitor, and when the visitor walks in, we're like, oh, God, oh, God, help them, Lord Jesus. God, move on them. Let your spirit... Let them feel your spirit, God. Help the preacher to get them to the altar, Jesus. God, God, help them. Lord, oh, I hope what the preacher didn't say offended them, Jesus. Oh, God, everything becomes about the visitor. And what's the visitor doing? Is the visitor comfortable? Is the visitor, is the visitor enjoying themselves? Is the visitor participating? Is, and, and God's asking us not to be focused on the visitor. Because that's not what they did in the book of Acts. That is not what the blueprint that God gave us. Let me tell you what happened in Acts. The saints didn't focus on the visitors. And in fact, they didn't even think about, this, about these visitors. They were focused um, on Jesus. And the visitors, all they knew was that the saints were filled with the Holy Ghost. That's all they knew is that the Holy Ghost was inside of them. They didn't care what they looked like. They didn't care what they acted like. They didn't care what they sounded like. They, that's the big ugly lie that Satan has told people who have the Pentecostal experience. Satan will speak into your mind, and I know that because he does it to me. When the visitor walks into the building, Satan is whispering in our ear, tone it down. Don't make a scene. And you see, when the visitor comes, let's make Pentecost presentable. We have to, you see, we have to make it pretty because we are competing against all the other pretty churches in the city. we got to be pretty. But I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost, and we are not competing with other churches. Amen? You see, we are going to be all set up, and we're going to praise God, but we're going to maintain our composure. And we're not going to let anything too crazy happen because we do not want to freak out the visitors. This was Friend Sunday. It was the time in Jerusalem where there were more visitors than any other time. You would think that this is the time to maintain our composure and that this is the time to have little handouts for everyone. It was the time to put on your smile and let's worship God with composure. You can see it singing, break every chain, break every chain. Break. We're normal people. We're normal. God is saying this morning that I want to give you the template, that I want to give you the blueprint for how to turn a city upside down. When there is a lot of visitors around, God filled them with the Holy Ghost, and somebody got the bright idea that what was inside of them was too powerful to keep in, in, behind those walls. And they were in the Holy Ghost just drunk in the spirit and they lost control of themselves. They lost all of their composure. They were acting so crazy that the visitors were thinking they were drunk. But they decided to go outside and God said, here is the blueprint. 
Get everybody filled with the Holy Ghost and then get them in the open where people can see them. And so that now instead of being behind closed doors where they were comfortable and they were safe, now they are out in front of everyone speaking in tongues and acting a fool. And the bystanders saw them and said, I want what they have. I need what they have. I will do whatever it takes to get what they have. And can I ask you a question this morning? I'm preaching to myself. When is the last time someone looked at your Holy Ghost and said, I want that? I need that. I need what they have in their life. Do you think that you would have fit in on the day of Pentecost? You see, you can repent and you can be baptized and you can even believe, but God has more for you. Paul came to Ephesus in Acts 19, verses 2. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? You see, believing is not an automatic gift of God's Spirit. They are two separate experiences. You believe, and that will lead you to receive the Spirit. But that does not mean it will happen right away. Just because you believe does not mean you will automatically get the Spirit. You can even get baptized and not get the Spirit. Acts chapter 8, verse 16 through 17. For as yet he, he is the Holy Spirit, was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, they were baptized correctly, but they still did not receive the Holy Ghost. Why? Because it is a separate separate powerful experience that is promised to every believer and God wants every one of us to have it and so what does Paul do next after he found out that they did not have the Holy Ghost verse 17 then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost you see if it was not important then why on earth would he just drop what they're doing lay his hands on them to have them fill with the Holy Ghost You see, this same blueprint, it was used in Acts 10, verses 45 through 46. And they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues, the evidence, and magnify God. Disciples of John the Baptist at Ephesus received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 19, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with other tongues and prophesied. Acts chapter 2 is the blueprint for the church. Amen? And you could say that the Holy Ghost is for only the people of Acts. But I came to tell you that it was avail- if it was available to them, it is available to us. That what God did for them, he can do for us. There is no conclusion in the book of Acts. Nowhere in the Bible does God say that it was only for the people of Acts. It is the blueprint that God gave the church. And notice that in every account in Acts where people received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues. Isaiah prophesied about this in Isaiah 28 verse 11. For with stammering lips and another tongue will you speak to this people. It was prophesied. It was promised. And so what do I mean by tongues? Tongues are defined for us in, in 1 Corinthians 14 too. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men. 
There are a lot of people who would tell you that you have to be speaking Chinese or Portuguese or some other kind of language if you are if you're speaking in tongues. But that is wrong. That may happen on occasion, but that is not the standard way of speaking in tongues in the Bible. On the day of Pentecost, they did not speak in different languages. They spoke in tongues, a heavenly language. And God affected the hearing of those that were watching so that they heard. Can you put that back up on the screen for me? Acts chapter 2, verse 8. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? How do we hear them? Not how do they speak in our own language. You also have to remember that they were that these people were from all nations, meaning that they were speaking in different languages. Yet they could all hear the Galileans and understand what they were saying. God took what was foolish to some and what, what people thought was just drunk, drunken gibberish and God opened the ears of the hungry so that they could hear the mysteries. It is a heavenly language and 1 Corinthians 14.2 explains that. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. You're not speaking to men, you're speaking to God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. In verse 14, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Speaking in tongues is a supernatural experience that God said is the evidence of you having the power of the Holy Ghost. And I just don't understand why there's so many churches who are afraid of speaking in tongues. Jesus talked about it. It was prophesied throughout the Old Testament and it was fulfilled at the birth of the church. It is the blueprint and God wants us to have that same experience. He wants us to receive everything that he has for us. Amen. Acts 10, 44 through 46. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, Peter, why were they astonished? Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out of, the, out of the gift of the Holy Ghost. And how did they know that the Gentiles just received the gift of the Holy Ghost? Verse 46. For they heard them speak in other tongues and magnify God. Acts 19.2, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said to him, we don't even know anything about the Holy Ghost. And you see, that is exactly where a lot of Christian churches are today. They think that they have received everything that God has for them. But they need a Pentecostal preacher or a Pentecostal saint. They need a Pentecostal co-worker to talk to them and say, you know what, God has more for you. God has something deeper for you and he is not done with you. God has a gift for you. God wants to bless you more. Amen. And I'm coming to a close. So if the musicians would come, Peter said, this would be the universal experience for the church. Acts 2.17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This is the promise. It is the blueprint that God laid out 
for us to experience God's spirit living inside of us. Peter preached to the Gentiles and he ate with them, which was forbidden by the Jewish law. And, and when Peter went back to the Jewish council to explain what he did, he told them in Acts eleven fifteen, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. You see, Peter realized something. He realized that it was not just for the apostles. This was not just a one-time event. This was the blueprint for you and your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen, amen. If you would stand with me. The Bible says, draw near to God and and he will draw near to you. And so how do we draw near to him? It's by praying, Lord, I am sorry for the sin that has separated me from you, God. Lord, I lift my hands and surrender to you. I believe that you are real and I believe that your spirit is real, God. I am praying that you would put everything in my life that you have for me. Would you break whatever needs to be broken in my life, God, and that you would heal whatever needs to be healed. Hallelujah. We need to come to God with our brokenness, and we need to be transparent with him. Jesus, I know that this might not be the most popular thing to do, and I know that we might get mocked and we might get misunderstood, but Lord, help us to be okay with that. They were misunderstood in the book of Acts. Jesus, we are seeking you with our whole hearts. Lord, there is nothing to be ashamed about. We want to know you on a deeper level, God. We seek to experience your love and your joy in a way that we never have before. We want to see your glory and your power working in us and through us, God. Help us, Lord, to go back to the blueprint that you gave to us, God. You planned it and it was prophesied about and the apostles preached about it so that it could be an experience for everyone. Your plan from the beginning was to fill us with your spirit. Amen, amen. If there is, if there's any of you this morning who, who, who need God to be filled with God's spirit, if you, or if you need to be refilled with God's spirit, or if you just need a touch from God this morning, I want to tell you that God is in this place just like he was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And all he wants to do is, is he wants you to repent and to clean your cup so that he can fill you with his spirit. Amen. God, I am sorry for my sins. Jesus, wash me clean. God, Lord, wash me in your blood. I surrender my will unto you, God. I desire to have more of you, God. I want more of my life, Lord Jesus, to please you. Lord, I am I'm ready and I am broken before you, God. And I desire your spirit in my life, God. Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. When you repent and you give it to God, you will feel a weight lifted off of your shoulders. God will take that burden from you. And he is saying, I have forgiven you. Lord, I am desperate for you. He is saying, I have forgiven you. I am thirsty for you, Lord. 
Jesus, fill my cup this morning. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would move freely in this place, God. Amen. As, as you continue to repent and you seek God, and as you feel that weight lifted off of your, off of your hands, worship him this morning. God, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your promise. Amen.